Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. December 7th. Earth 2. 1941. A world very much like our own, yet slightly different. A date which will live in infamy. A world at war. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All-Star Squadron. Welcome to, I don't know what in the hell, episode of Tales of the Justice Society of America. You're, you're really bad at this. Yes, yes I am. My name is Snark McGill, and with me as always is my good friend... Uh, Chester McGee. Yes. I was just going to say, what's your name? <laughs> <laughs> nice. For those playing at home, this is episode 65 of the show. 65 dudes yeah, we're almost to 69 we'll yep. have to we can haul that clip out again because <laughs> that joke hasn't been beaten to death enough not yet <laughs> i said beat to death um 69 <laughs> i'm funny <laughs> so how's it going we just broke up real bad i'm doing fine how are you doing ah um comic book wise i am fine um, work-wise, I really don't want to get into that. But uh, no, I'm, I'm really excited. Christmas is is fast approaching. Yes, I like and Christmas. Are you sick of the music yet? 
No, not yet. I mean, you know, there's certain songs that are kind of starting to wear on me a little bit because our, our Christmas loop at work is not quite as long as it at first appeared to be, if you know what I mean. But uh, I can't complain too much because it does have my, my you know, I, I keep saying it's my favorite Christmas. It's not really. It's just like it's one of those like guilty pleasure Christmas songs, but it's uh what can you get a Wookiee for Christmas when he already owns a comb? They I can't actually, actually play that. Yes, it's on there. Oh, I can't believe it. But unfortunately, I, uh, I have to suffer through the likes of uh, Grandma got run over by a reindeer, and uh, is the two front teeth one on there? One of the really annoying kid ones is on there, and I can't remember. For Christmas, I think it's that one. Yeah, I don't. I don't like that one. Um, I recently played for some of the people that work under me at Office Depot. They had never even heard of that Star Wars Christmas song. <laughs> so I hooked uh, my Zune up to uh, some speakers and I I played most of What Do You Get a Wookiee for Christmas and I thought one of them was going to claw their eyes out. <laughs> oh, oh, man. It's not that bad. There's, there's much worse. I actually like that song quite a bit, but there are some horrible songs on that Christmas album. But overall, I, I can't be too critical of it. I do, uh, I do have fond childhood memories of listening to that album ad nauseum until my parents were like, "Take that thing off of the record player and put it away for like ten years." So, yeah. Well, I got a few things to bring to the table before we to do our usual preamble stuff. Uh, while it is past midnight now, when Scott and I were originally going to sit down and record. It hit me today that it was the 70th anniversary of Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just like, wow. And we're doing this show. Everything comes together nicely. <laughs> you realize if that, uh, if Pearl Harbor had never happened, we would have never had an All-Star Squadron. Thanks, Japan. <laughs> <laughs> um, another thing is I want to I wanna send a shout-out to the guys over at the Fire and Water podcast. Uh, it is a Aquaman Firestorm podcast. And you can find that either at AquamanShrine.com or FirestormFan.net. Uh, those guys do a good show. And recently those guys... Uh, did an episode, episode 7, about Crisis on Earth Prime. And those guys were nice enough, well, one of those guys was nice enough to mention this show. And he completely forgot to say the names of the hosts. Um, and it wouldn't hurt so much <laughs> if it wasn't Shaq. Who's one of the co-hosts, so I'm just giving him a little hard time. It was funny, because he and, and Rob host that show, and it's a fun show. And really, if you're going to pick out a JLA-JSA crossover to talk about, that's the perfect one for their show, considering Aquaman and Firestorm are pretty much front and center through most of the story. Um, and it was interesting hearing them talk about it from the perspective of those two characters. Uh they were talking about how at the end Firestorm was snuggling up to Power Girl and how she wanted him to hold her and I wrote in reminding them that every other time they get together Power Girl shuts him down pretty pretty hardcore actually poor Firestorm <laughs> but but no it was nice of Shag to mention the show even if he forgot the name of you know the guys he's been friends with for a year so thanks Shag 
I appreciate that. <laughs> <sighs> like Shank listens to this show. Um, another thing I wanted to mention is a blog I go to called Sensor Sweep, which, uh, from the sound of it, it sounds like it should be a uh, Star Trek uh, blog, but it, it it's it's more about comic book wallpapers than an Aquaman than Star Trek. And the guy that runs it is uh, named Roger, and he does amazing comic book wallpapers. Uh, Scott and I have been snagging comic book wallpapers yeah. there for years. And um, back on the 30th of November, he put up a bunch of George Perez-drawn wallpapers from the History of the DC Universe two-issue series. And one of them is the two-page spread of the All-Star Squadron, and it is beautiful. Yeah, it makes a great wallpaper. Yeah, I actually had to put a border around it so it would fit with my aspect ratio. And normally I don't do that with those wallpapers, but this time I was like, oh yeah, it's got everybody in it, so and everybody looks awesome because it's George Perez. But that day he also posted a... A really nice Justice Society one. A really cool Legion of Superheroes. I had forgotten about the Legion of Superheroes two-pager from History of the DC Universe. Do you like that series? Out of curiosity? Which series? I'm sorry, which series? History of the DC Universe? Yes, I do, because they are in it. It's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. It's, uh... I, I I always was hoping that they would do like an addendum to it, you know, where they would they would keep it updated, you know. But sadly, they never did. But yeah, I like that because I think it's a it's a really nice companion piece to uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, and the art is just, I mean, it's unreal in that. It's it's I, I think it's some of the best of uh, Perez's career myself. They did a. Um, uh, Gra- not, graffiti Designs did a exclusive hardcover of that that I found a beat up copy of for ten bucks years ago at a convention. The uh, dust jacket was kind of torn up, but the book itself was fine, and it had some exclusive art in it. It had a jam page of all of these DC characters drawn by different artists, all on the same page. It was really cool. Uh, I have no way to scan it because it's a hardcover and those don't scan very well. But, but I wanted to mention that simply because of the somebody actually thought to do an All-Star Squadron wallpaper and I've never seen one before. So that uh, that made me happy. I've seen some around that were like, you know, taking like a cover image or something like that, but none that, that really worked, you know. That, that I felt that, you know, where I looked at it and said, now that's a wallpaper, you know what I mean? And this particular image he chose, just, it works perfectly as a wallpaper. It's just, it's gorgeous. It really is. So, let me, let me see if I can do this. Head on over to rmf1701.blogspot.com. That's a really weird URL. I guess that's his name. Oh well, that would make sense. His first name is Roger. So, but uh, this time out, <laughs> folks, I've screwed up again, and uh, Scott would 
Scott just muted himself, otherwise you would have heard again. <laughs> See? <laughs> he just unmuted to laugh at me. Um, we had made a deal that if Scott would do the synopsis, which he did a fantastic job of, of New Teen Titans Annual Number 2. Oh, thank you. Uh, for our crisis... Um, I forgot the name of the crisis show. management. What crisis management episode we released last week? Uh, thank you for giving me a week off when I was sick. By the way, I appreciate that. Not a problem. Um, but um, that I would do the synopsis for this issue. Well, I for some reason got into my head that he was going to do this issue and I was going to do the next one, and he wrote up a synopsis for issue twenty-eight. So once again, we are kind of stuck with me. About to stammer through another uh, <laughs> back to the bins type uh, uh, synopsis breakdown, which is kind of a dodgy proposition for me because for every Superman annual number eleven, there's also a Justice League of America number two twenty one. So I'm going to say mea culpa. I screwed up, and I'm just going to read the synopsis. From the All-Star Companion Volume 2. But here's the thing, folks. Um, how do we want to say this politely? These issues sucked. Um, they weren't god-awful. I wouldn't put them... But I would put them on the same level <laughs> as... Well, that's going to make people want to want to continue <laughs> to listen to the episode. <laughs> uh, this, is where we, this is where we find out... Wait if a minute, I thought the, you were a salesman. <laughs> well, I'm selling us, so <laughs> I could buy and sell you three times over, Gardner. Um, <laughs> no, uh, they're kind of on par, I would say, with the Alien half set storyline mm -hmm. that we got, where it's like you know, there's a germ of a good idea here. It's just one. At one point in the next episode, the JSA is just are just complete assholes to the Atom. Like, for no reason. Um, it's because he's a little person. And <laughs> You should be able to relate to that, Mike. Um, <laughs> just filling in the words before you can. I'm going to make fun of me before you can. Um, it's just... It has jack-all to do with the All-Star Squadron itself. Yeah, it's... It, yeah. it's very much more of a JSA story. And I think that's why I didn't like it as much. So we're going to dive right in, as the music fades out, to All-Star Squadron number 27. The uh, The cover is actually kind of cool. It's a Jerry Ordway cover of Dr. Fate and the Spectre fighting as uh, Wonder Woman, Dr. Midnight, Starman, and Hawkman watch through some weird television with writing around it. Uh, I forget what that thing is called, but uh, it's a special Justice Society issue. The story title is A Spectre is Haunting the Multiverse. The writer-editor was Roy Thomas. Richard Howell was the guest artist. Larry Houston was the inker for pages 1 to 9, and it's really noticeable when he leaves. David Cody Weiss, letterer... Oh, they did his full name again. David Cody Weiss, letterer, and Adrian Roy. I think Adrian Roy holds the distinction of being involved 
with more Batman stories than any other comic book professional ever. Wow. As the colorist. So, uh, was the colorist. And here is the synopsis as given by the All-Star Companion Volume 2. The Atom, irradiated during his battle with Cyclotron, is hospitalized. The JSA, rushing to his side, use Wonder Woman's magic sphere to monitor, monitor Doctor Fate's quest for the missing Spectre. The trail leads Fate to the extra-dimensional tomb of the evil Kulak. Kulak Shakur. Where Spectre stands guard. <laughs> I just wanted to get that joke out of the way really quick. Uh, the, the two heroes clash. Spectre overpowers Fate too late to stop Kulak from awakening and attacking Earth, as the latter's giant's hands are seen ripping a giant hole in the sky itself, gaining Kulak entrance into the realm of men. And the notes this time out are, some astute readers probably guessed that the Adam's passing out in the hospital was related to his close encounter with Cyclotron, and that it would have a ret uh, retcon connection with the Mighty Mites gaining atomic strength in 1948. The sidereal domain in which Dr. Fate and the Spectre battle over Kulak has a deliberate resemblance to the other world realms established by Steve Ditko in Marvel's Doctor Strange series in the mid-1960s. Rick Hoberg was announced as scheduled to become penciler of All-Star Squadron with number 29 with Larry Houston as regular inker. But Hoberg got delayed a bit and Houston departed after one issue. <laughs> they didn't stay around at all. Uh, Roy Thomas ex explains in the letters page his rationale for adding an African-American hero Amazing Man to the series, even though there were no black superheroes in mainstream American comics prior to Marvel's Black Panther. Hmm. And, uh, well, that's interesting. But, yeah, um, that's it for the notes. Uh, what do you got on this, Scott? I can't help but wonder if when his friends call him and say, hey, Kulak, if he goes, oh, yeah, and breaks through walls. <laughs> I'm just curious. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like the picture of Superman on page three, although the squat, funny-looking Superman is always, um, well, funny-looking, but I do like that picture. <laughs> yes. um, it occurs to me mostly because you've got like 15 people in it in this page on page two or in this bubble on page two, that a bubble cannot be the most convenient um, shape to ride around in. No. Because it looks like in that picture, if say Tarantula or Amazing Man, if their foot slips, they could potentially like fall down and slide over and knock everybody else over like, like bowling pins, you know? So it, it, it seems like a square would actually be a, a more convenient shape to ride in, or like stadium seating or something, you know? Or, or, or maybe like, you know, like a like an army jeep or something. Right. It, it's <laughs> something like a troop transport from the from uh, the Empire Strikes Back. I mean, anything. Exactly. Uh, it, his ring can do anything he wants it to. <laughs> exactly, yeah, I know. <laughs> so. Just cheaping out with a crappy bubble. <laughs> I do like the shot on page three, though, of the Flash running down the building. Yeah. Um, that was kind of cool. Like, <laughs> I'm not traveling by no bubble. What are you, high? I do oh, like the art in this, for the most part. It's it's a little simpler than what we've come to be used to in this title, but for the most part, I, I don't mind it. It's, you know, it's, it's, uh, 
it's different and it's nice to see different once in a while as long as different is you know serviceable um i forget which panel it is here but on page four um the adam forgets the sex of the baby for a moment <laughs> what the hell is it i'm not now i'm not finding it but i know i made a note of it here oh here it is where she said where fire it's in the first panel firebrand is saying uh I don't know what I was thinking, bringing a months-old baby up here. And Adam says, uh, I'm betting he's plenty warm, uh, Brandy. Um, that's a girl, dude. <laughs> maybe, maybe Adam just... Oh, never mind. I'm not even going to go there. Uh, <laughs> I like the fact that... Well, he get, is the mighty might, so... <laughs> I like the fact that to get off the roof of the building, um, they find that the door was accidentally locked behind them. So Firebrand just melts the freaking door and they walk down the stairs into the yeah. rest of the hospital. So I'm thinking on page five, like for the whole rest of the story, the doctors are going, Jesus, there's a wicked draft in here. Do you guys, are you guys cold? Do you feel a draft? Because she never does anything to, you know, I mean, she doesn't, we don't see her notify anybody. Oh, by the way, I melted the door upstairs, you know. Well, why'd you do that? Well, it was locked. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, but the worst part of it, that's not even, it doesn't even stop there because then on page five, you've got uh, the Adam just walks up to some doctor. The guy's busy. He's a doctor. And he walks up to him and he starts saying some crap about his radiation problem. And the doctor just tells him, sorry, son, I'm busy. And it's not like he was, you know, being a jerk. It's not like he was like, hey, piss off. You know, he just said, he says, I'm sorry, I'm busy at the moment. So Adam grabs the guy by the scruff of the neck and he's like lifting him off the ground. He goes, sorry, doc, I don't hear you so good or something. And it's like, this is not very heroic behavior from either one of these people melting doors and threatening the medical staff. Just, you know, that's, that's, you know, Superman would not be proud. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Made a note that I meant to look up. I forget what, what made me think about it, but uh, I just have a note about page seven asking is Hades Greek. I can't remember. I always get my, my the the pantheons a little bit confused sometimes, but I believe Hades is Greek. I'm trying to remember what the Roman version of Hades is. Is it Pluto? I can't it remember. Might very well be. While you Google that, let's see what else we got here. <laughs> hey, there's a Hades.net. That doesn't come up. All right, I have my biggest note for this issue is on pages six and seven. We catch up with the All Stars, or excuse me, with the Justice Society, rather. The bulk of the Justice Society, as you will recall, was called to Washington, D.C., and they assembled there and were basically told to chill out, awaiting something from the government about the, what was the name of that? The, the dragon society or something. And yeah. So they the were black dragon, black society. dragon society. That was it. So they're just, they're just hanging out. So it's, it's actually, there's a part in here where they're kind of bitching about that fact that, you know, the things were, were happening. So, you know, it's nice to see the JSAers expressing my sentiment about them being kind of taken off the table uh, and and just made to just stand around. But wait a minute. Let let me get this straight, okay? So they're they're content 
basically to follow orders and hurry up and wait at the army's behest while Ultra, you know, the Ultra Humanite, threatens the entire world. They're not happy about it, but they do it. They they follow the orders. And then, you know, as we see in this issue, you know, this, this is where we see for the first time they're really not happy about, you know, being told to just, all right, you know, stay here and don't leave until we, we tell you about this other mission that I'm thinking is not as world-shattering as potentially the ultra-humanites plan was. That it, Wasn't it like endangering reality or something? Yeah. So, so they're doing that. But then they're watching on Wonder Woman's mystic television this thing where the Atom has a fainting spell. And every single one of them abandons Washington, <laughs> D.C. to rush to the Adams' side at the hospital. <laughs> Everyone, they don't even leave anybody behind. I, I think yeah. at one point it's even mentioned that, hey, maybe one of us should stay behind. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, it's it's on page eight where General Brody comes in and says, where are you boys off to? And, and he's not even acknowledging that Wonder Woman's right there. And he goes, I thought you agreed to, and it's Hawkman that cuts him off. He says, afraid we've got to hop to New York, General, uh, but we'll be in touch by the time you locate those Japanese spies. And Brody, you know, he starts to stammer something about, you know, this is highly irregular, blah, blah, blah. And Hawkman just spouts some crap about, you know, well, you know, I'm only their chairman. I can't, you know, I can't make them stay here or anything. So all of them leave. Now, not one of them stays behind for this oh-so-important mission that had them cooling their heels while the planet was endangered an issue ago. And it's it's just so... I mean, come on, really? The Adam's fainting spell is more important than the safety of realities? <laughs> the ultra-humanite is going to destroy the world. Well, we'd like to go, but, <laughs> you know, the, the army wants us to stay here. Hey everybody, the Adam's sick. Well, shit. Yeah, Let's it's like go. at that. It's like at that point they realized how stupid it was for them to sit out the end of the world, so they looked for any excuse. Yes, it's, <laughs> it's yeah, it's completely silly. Speaking of completely silly, so then as soon as everybody leaves, Wonder Woman, who I thought went out the window on page seven comes in and she says, uh, pardon me, sir, I nearly forgot to take with me the uh, her magic sphere is what it's called. Now, it, not only is it not a sphere, <laughs> it looks like it probably weighs about a ton and a half. And, of course, you know, she's super strong, so it's not a big issue. But she really lugs this friggin' thing around with her everywhere. What a pain in the ass this thing has got to be. And where exactly is she putting this in her invisible plane? It does not look like there's room for that thing. It's a Greco-Roman iPod, basically. Uh, yeah, so. exactly. Yeah, it's well, it's it's just silly. Um, page nine, panel one. I feel a little weird now pointing this out because of a news story that that was, um, well, it was in the news just a day or two ago. But I, it's got to be said. Um, looking at Starman's position in the first panel on page nine, I just have two words. Invisible plane. <laughs> this is extremely dangerous, Starman. 
So and that's all I'm going to say, because I don't like I say there was that, that news story. I think it was yesterday. And I, I don't want to seem like I'm being crude or whatever. I actually wrote these notes days ago. So, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not making, you know, I'm not making light of of the recent situation. So but, yeah, I mean, plus not to even mention that part of the, the thing, I mean. How do these people know like where to stand on the you know because you've got Johnny Th- is that Johnny Thunder yeah Johnny Thunder yeah. and Doctor Midnight standing on the wing of the plane so we we have the weak link and the blind guy <laughs> standing on the wing of a plane are you freaking kidding me oh it gets worse I I know in the next I issue the plane in the next issue I, I was like really yeah here blind guy take the stick. <laughs> This wouldn't be the first time we've talked about this. Yes, and it's not going to be the last. I'm almost positive. Uh, I I put good money on that. Sadly, this is really my my last um, my last written note on this. But just flipping through the issue, I mean, the problem with it is it's it's not a bad story up until no. page eleven, and then it becomes a Doctor Fate solo story. Now, it's not like I dislike Dr. Fate or anything, but as I believe I have stated numerous times in the past, I'm not a big fan of, of magic and magicians and, you know, mystical bullshit stories and all that. And when he goes into the, the you know, Dr. Strange, Steve Ditko world uh, in the last panel on page 12, that's kind of the point where I was like, well, I can just kind of tune out of this because <laughs> I just don't like stories like this. You know, we got the mystic beings and they're fighting and it's all weird mystically. You know, let me use this cra- crazy power that I'll never reference again against this crazy power that I didn't even know this character had. And it's, oh, Jesus, I hate <laughs> stories like this. I really, really do. I mean, from from page 11 on, really, the only positive thing I can say about this is I really like the uh, the three panels at the top of page 12 where uh, zombie Jim Corrigan is walking along the bottom of the ocean and like pointing like a well, like a zombie. That's actually um, it's very uh like Jim Aparo, I think, you know, it's like, at least it reminds me of, of Jim. Aparo. It reminds me of something you'd see in like ghosts or one of those other creepy yeah. sea books of the seventies, but that's pretty much it. You know, I like Dr. Fate. I like the specter. I just, this story frankly bored me and Kulak's just a big freak. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, he's like, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe him. He's he's weird. You know, he's this big blue. He he's like cross the Mandarin with with Fu Manchu, and instead of having the Fu Manchu mustache, give him a third eye instead, and that's pretty much who you've got. He's a he's a weird visual that, you know, th- this is one of those instances, and this will happen. Again, from time to time, you know, as we're looking at these, you know, the the history of the JSA, especially with Roy Thomas, where, you know, you can see that that Roy's love and affection for the Golden Age material in this instance isn't really serving the reader well because he he's a little too slavish because this is largely an adapt uh, an adaptation 
of an old golden age tale. Yeah. And it feels <laughs> like it, damn it. It just, you know, it, it, this, this isn't one of the better examples of, of Roy Thomas taking one of those old kind of silly golden age tales, filling in the blanks and beefing it up and making it go, Oh, okay. Yeah. That was actually pretty cool. This is an instance of him kind of being a little too slavish to it. And it just feels mighty silly. I, at least that that's my impression of it. That's not the bust on Roy Thomas. I love the guy, but yeah, this one, I just, I just wasn't feeling it. I don't know. What do you think? I kind of prefer him adapting the material than what he would do in the invaders and what we're going to see in infinity incorporated where sometimes he would just reprint the comic. Oh yeah. Comic. And it's not that I dislike reading golden age stories. It's just when you're accustomed to modern day storytelling and modern day artwork, well, modern day is in 1983, 1984. And then you throw in a golden age story as kind of a flashback it's really jarring. I think that that goes for any era. You know, when, when you jump from one era of storytelling to yeah. another, I, I feel exactly the same way. Um, I'll use a perfect example. I'm actually reading through um, the, uh, the last two She-Hulk series right now from Marvel Comics. Um, the first one was written by Dan Slaw and, uh, I'm not sure who the writer was in the, I think it's Peter David by the time I'm, I, I'm not sure where, anyway, one of the, the early issues of the most recent series was dubbed the hundredth issue because if you added up all the numbers of all the yeah. different series, it, it equaled a hundred in the, you know, there's a, a regular story in there. And then in the back of the book, it reprints two or three classic uh, She-Hulk stories from like Savage She-Hulk and Sensational She-Hulk. And yeah, it's very jarring because you you see evidence right there how very different storytelling was in the 70s from, you know, here in the in the 2000s. And it's like, yeah. And so, you know, I, I got to be honest. You know, you said that you don't really mind reading Golden Age. I, I, I got to be honest. I, I do mind. I, I'm not a big fan of the Golden Age stuff. Um, okay. I don't know what it is. I, I try not to be a snob about it, but I guess that's basically what it comes down to is I'm a bit of a snob about the, the Golden Age stuff. I just so, so much of it's just it's just flat goofy. You know what I mean? It really depends on the character. Like, um Golden Age Green Lantern stories are actually really cool. Mm -hmm. Like, kind of compelling stories. Even though the plots are kind of simple, you kind of get into it. Right. Uh, and the artwork's pretty cool. And sometimes it's fun just to watch people make up stuff as they go along. Right. Like, there, there, there wasn't a plan. We're just adding crap here and there so that... <laughs> So so that we can keep the thing going. It's just like when, when he went from being a railroad engineer to a radio engineer, it was all in one panel going, well, I have engineering skills. Let me go work for the radio station. <laughs> yeah, because like, wow. it's exactly the same. <laughs> but um, radio, think, railroad, they even start with the same letter. How the hell, di you know, how, how difficult could it be? But, you know, having said all that, I... I wasn't a real big fan of this issue. And I know in the beginning I was saying it sucked and was trying to be funny about it. It actually kind of depressed me because as much as we had certain problems with the conclusion 
of the whole Ultra storyline, it was still a really great ride. And we were and, and every issue there was something cool to see and read and all the characters were there and it was badass and all that kind of stuff. And you know, when I open this issue, the first thing I see is the Adam and Firebrand waving with absolutely no backgrounds behind them and it looks like crap. <laughs> Uh, I am not a fan of this artist. Um, I agree with you. Richard Howell is serviceable. Uh, I think he would go on to do Soul Searchers in company with Peter David. Never heard of that. Uh, what is that? Uh, I have no idea. I just know that it was a Peter David book. Because at one point I was trying to buy everything Peter David and I could never find a copy of any issue of Soul Searchers. What company was that? Oh, God. What was Soul Searchers in company? By the way, uh, uh, Wikipedia update... Uh, Pluto is the Greek Hades okay. because Hades was also called Plauton. So, which, so Hades which is the Greek name or the Roman name? Uh, Hades is Greek. Pluto is Roman. Pluto is Roman. Okay. So, but uh, and if I'm correct, and I could be completely wrong about this, I think Richard Howell was married to a woman named Carol Kalish, who was part of. Um, Part uh, was the direct sales. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Marvel I knew Comics. that name sounded familiar. I couldn't so, place it though. Yeah. I think you're right. So, but I th- I think they were married. Uh, and if it sounds like I'm vamping, it, it's because I'm vamping because I'm trying to find out what company did. Well, you, you go ahead. I can Claypool. vamp for you because I there was Claypool a note that Comics. I actually forgot to uh, to throw out, which was uh, last panel page nineteen. I do like the monster emerging from whatever this thing is because he looks like. He looks like a like if the um, supreme intelligence was mutating into like a slug with gummy worm arms. He's actually pretty cool looking. I do like that monster. Yeah, it was Claypool Comics that uh, never heard of that. And when I googled Richard Howell, I get the governor of New Jersey. <laughs> I that, don't think it's the same. I thought you'd get the millionaire from Gilligan's Island. <laughs> That's Thurston Howell, the third. Right. Who talk with Harvard Lockjaw? <laughs> There's actually a term for that. Um, page two, all of those heroes in the bubble. Batman's got a serious durr face going on. Oh, I gotta see this. Page. Let's see. <laughs> Either that or he's thinking, I'm so high right he now. Looks, he looks very stern to me, like, I don't even like any of these people. <laughs> um... Guardian looks like he's trying like hell not to put his hand anywhere near Phantom <laughs> Lady's breasts because that's what he's probably wanting to do. She's kind of tucked up in the corner too, like I don't want anyone touching me. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. If if either Tarantula or Amazing Man fell right now, it would be like ten pins right. that bubble. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Superman on page three has has a serious what the hell look on his face. I am not a really big fan of Hal's interpretation of the of Infinity Incorporated on page four. I thought that was kind of lousy, as a matter of fact. Um, page five, you have stated on other podcasts that we do together and uh, by yourself that you really hate it when you see a character bandaged over his costume. <laughs> I really hate on page five seeing the Adam sweating through his mask. Like oh yeah, 
That bugs me for some reason. I have no idea why. Because he stinks. Uh, probably. Um, page seven, Wonder Woman in that first panel looks like she seriously has to pee. <laughs> Come on, guys. Seriously, can't there be a ladies' room in this headquarters? Come on. We got a bucket in the corner. Shut up. Ooh, she's got serious bitch face in that fourth panel. Or yeah. is that fifth panel? Let's see. One, two, three. Yeah, yeah fifth, the fifth panel. Um, the, uh, the General Brody, he looks like Hugo Danner from the end of <laughs> Young does. All-Stars. He totally does. <laughs> He's got that horrible mustache. This is highly irregular. That's, that's whenever anybody says that, that's the voice that comes to my head, no matter who they are. Take some Metamucil, you'll be alright, dude. Um, I, I, um, I hate the way the Adam looks on the page of, uh, bottom of page 8, too, with the mask pulled up to just his nose. I hate it in this issue, but next issue, that's actually one of my notes that I like that he's doing the Spider-Man thing with his, uh, with his mask. It's funny um, that I don't like it in this one, but I like it in the next one. I don't know what's what's different exactly. Is the art team different in the next issue? I can't. No, remember. it's the same art team. Yeah, it's weird. Much, I th- yeah, it's well, maybe the different inker. Uh, that could be it. Yeah, I had serious issues with the with Doctor Midnight and Johnny Thunder balancing on the wing of the invisible plane. How is that? She has got to be seriously like pulling on that yoke to keep it from. The, the plane from starting to spin, I swear to God. Right. Um, I'm kind of like you. Once the story gets to the Dr. Fate stuff, outside of, uh, and I totally agree with you that on page 12, the, the Jim Corrigan zombie is creepy as hell. Mm-hmm. It's like, and it's not that I hate Dr. Fate, because I'm really looking forward to the day I sit down and read that J.M. DeMatteis Doctor Fate series that he originally did with Sean McManus because it looks kind of cool, mm-hmm. and I like the character, and I will always have a childhood love of him because of Easter 1986. In my Easter basket was the Superpowers Martian Manhunter and Doctor Fate, so those two characters are always really close in my head for some reason. I right. it's very strange, um, but. <sighs> I just don't care about what's going on. Right. It's nothing against the story because the story is kind of cool. And if I was into this stuff, I would probably love this story. You know, if I was really into the mystic mystical side of superheroes, you know, seeing Dr. Fate and the Spectre fighting against each other would probably be really badass. because as much as I kind of dislike the artwork, Howl draws a great Spectre and Dr. Fate. I really like the way both characters look, especially on page 14. My note there is, man, Spectre looks like a real badass with his arms crossed there. Like, yeah, I'm about to beat you into submission. So, Kulak, (laughs) oh yeah, (laughs) doesn't look good in this story ever. And I think that's because he's an ugly, ugly character. So, I just realized something on page 16 with with the little bubbles there. That uh, the third bubble, the one that's uh, right oh my god, that's uh, Maleficent from yes. uh, Sleeping Beauty, and then in that, I guess it would be the fifth bubble, that guy in the blue and orange outfit, he looks a lot like a Marvel character. I'm trying to remember his name. It's like Demon Slayer or something like that. Um, 
I can't remember his name. You know who I'm talking about, though? Not Son of Satan. No, not him. Yeah, I think I know who you're talking about. Like, no, that wasn't... Kill Raven wasn't a demon slayer. No. Totally useless character. I think he's the character that ended up leaving the Marvel Universe and was demon slayer for, like, one issue in whatever that was. It wasn't Charlton, but it was one of those, like, Atlas comics or something like that. I just can't remember his name, though. So... No, I, I didn't know, notice Maleficent. Uh, Maleficent. Yeah, I didn't either. I just now caught that. Just kind of flipping back through the book, I was like, "Hey, that's totally her too." Um, I don't want to sound weird or nothing, but I always thought she was totally hot. Yeah, she is. Uh, Eleanor Audley. Yeah, there's something. Great. There's something. Uh, yeah, she. Yeah, great women, man. <laughs> no, I'm dead serious. She Hulk. Uh, Yvonne Craig from that episode of Star Trek. Um, anybody that plays Elphaba in the musical Wicked, it and Wicked's like green women dressed as witches, so it's like two fetishes in one. <laughs> two, two, two fetishes in one. Page seventeen, the sh- the fourth panel of the Spectre grabbing and crushing Doctor Fate actually looks really awesome. And again, it's why I feel bad about not liking this story because visually, it's kind of stunning. Mm-hmm. It's just I'm completely bored with the plot, especially the trading card thing on page 21 where they go through all those dimensions. Uh, page 22, Wonder Woman looks like she just saw something sad on the news, not somebody threaten- threatening to destroy the entire world. <laughs> You're right. Oh, what's going on? And yeah, kind of a boring cliffhanger. I mean, seriously. Just him ripping through the sky should be, should be seriously badass, and yet it's doing nothing for me. Yeah. So. God, you know, usually we have fun making fun of stuff. I I feel kind of dirty right now. I feel bad. <laughs> well, yeah, it's just you know what can you say? Uh, you know, it's it's not. It is what it the, is. Yeah, it's not <laughs> the best issue, and frankly, it just it's not. It's it's kind of dry. <sighs> what else do we got? Um. Well. Ads. There are some pretty cool ads. What do we got for ads in this one? And we got an MPC model kit ad eh. that has an ad ad in the back of it. Does it? Oh, you're right. That's the uh, that's that Hoth uh, diorama thing. You're right. I didn't even notice that. What's really cool is it's got a T Rex about to eat the ad ad. That's even cooler. <laughs> Dude, I would totally pay to see T Rex versus Ad At. I would, yeah, I'd, I'd be down for that. That's you know, you get movie. you get Spielberg and Lucas together on that. It could happen. It really could. Hey, there've been like what, like twelve of those crappy Alien versus Predator movies. I would totally <laughs> shell out money for uh, T Rex versus Ad At. Jurassic Park on Hoth. <laughs> I would be down for that. <laughs> Got the Kool-Aid Man video game, the Star Frontiers TSR game, the Columbia House of video games, yeah. which still fascinates me that that thing even existed. Because it's like, you know, records, what was a record in in, in, the 80, in 1983? What about maybe 16 bucks somewhere around there? Maybe cheaper? Oh, yeah, they were cheaper than that. I want to say maybe maybe 8, 9 bucks, something like that. Okay, so you, you figure that with Columbia House, you're getting a $9 record once a month. That's something you could afford. Mm-hmm. $50 a month for a new video game? Seriously? Yeah. 
That may be random. Um, across from page 17, we have a Grit ad and a really great Multimedia Conventions double header with a nice Superman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clark Kent changing into Superman. I guess that's Swan. Yeah, that looks like Swan. I think so, yeah. But uh, in Boston, you can see Dick Giordano, Marshall Rogers, Len Wein, and Walter Koenig. Man. And Mr. Koenig and Mr. Doom will switch cities for Sunday show. See both celebrities at either convention. And in Albany, formerly Fantacon, Bernie Wrightson, Jeff Jones, and James Doom. Who the hell's Jeff Jones? I have no idea. The name sounds familiar. Uh, I've come across that name recently. I just can't remember where. Isn't the guy from that was the principal in Ferris Bueller? Isn't his name Jeff Jones? He was Jeffrey Jones. Jeffrey Jones. Okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the one that was caught with child porn, and that kind of ruins Ferris Bueller's day off for me. Now. Is that actually true? Because I've heard that several times. And I know I haven't seen him in a movie since like the Hunt for Red October. So is that really true? Well, it was around 1999. Hmm. And uh, I haven't seen him in a film since. Yeah. So no, wait. I take that back. He Tim Burton had him in Sleepy Hollow because hmm. Sleepy Hollow was. Hey, have you ever been in a Tim Burton film? You're gonna be in this one, right? I haven't seen uh, that one yet. Ah, uh, it's very good. Um, has a really good cast. Uh, really moody, uh, moody sets. Uh, Johnny Depp is a very good Ichabod Crane. Basically, it's Ichabod Crane as a detective hmm. investigating the Headless Horseman. Uh, and, there's uh, a, and he's got a bizarre backstory, and Christina Ricci's in it, and she's kind of hot. And uh, the dude from, what is that movie? Starship Troopers, Casper Van Dien, uh, who played the, the main character in Starship Troopers. He's like in it as her, as Christina Ricci's like would-be boyfriend. And, uh, yeah, he really can't handle period pieces. Oh, is that, um, oh, God, I can't think of his name. He had a weird name. Casper Van Dien. No, no, I mean the the characters. Oh, yeah, what was his name? Oh, man, I can't remember. He had, he had one of those, like, Stan Lee alliterative, alliterative names. I can't, <laughs> I can't think of, yeah, it was like, I want to say Boston brand, and I know that's not right, but it was, I think it was something with double Bs, wasn't it? Something like that. I, I liked the film. We saw Rachel's a total Tim Burton nut, so of course we saw it in the theater. But uh it's got a good it's got a really solid story behind it, which is why I think I like watching it so much. And, Brom Bones, that was his name. Brom Bones. It just came to me. Uh we've got a Sergeant Rock uh ad, and I'm kinda looking forward to soon I will be getting to read that Sergeant Rock story in that DC holiday special from nineteen seventy nine. Hmm. Really looking forward to that. Got a really cool, really cool meanwhile where uh, Dick Giordano kind of gives his history as a comic fan and where he sees comics are going. And it begins with, I have a vision, a vision of comics being all that they can be. And it's just like, wow, that's, it's kind of like, I have a dream. Yeah. I was, comic just, gonna, book fans. I was just going to say he should have delivered this uh, meanwhile column from the from the uh, Lincoln Memorial. <laughs> and we can all sing from that that Marvel spirits roll. Spider-Man, <laughs> Spider-Man does whatever a spider can. <laughs> oh, we're going to get letters for that one. 
we got a Burger Time ad on the inside, uh, back inside cover. And if and, and if you're following along at home and going, Mike, you're ignoring the Dial H for Hero ad. You're absolutely <laughs> right that I'm ignoring the Dial H for Hero ad because if there are concepts and comics that I hate, Dial H for Hero is at the top <laughs> of the list. Dial A for ass. I just I've read a bunch of them in like the back of the New Adventures of Superboy. Yeah, and none of them were any good. And do you realize how statistically impossible that is? <laughs> that not a single one of them was good. How does that happen? <sighs> and the back cover is the... Did you ever play this 007 game? I don't think so. It looks like it was probably pretty crappy. Karate kicks, jumps, lasers, and more. <laughs> eh. You'll try to capture the... The Fabergé gems while bounding across the speeding octopusy circus train. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> you wrote that out, <laughs> and no one in a meet in like a, an executive boardroom looked at that and said, "You know, maybe we should change the name of that because octopusy sounds bad." <laughs> I think that's the one that has for your eyes. No, that's the movie for your eyes. <sighs> It's just the one that has for your eyes only as the theme. For your eyes only. Okay. Why can't I remember James Bond movies? Uh, so what do you want to do now? You want to go through some emails before <gasps> we, uh, we could do break that. for this one? We could do that. Ooh, have we yeah. done the uh, have we done the month for this one yet? No, we haven't. I was completely uh, there was something I was completely forgetting and that was it. Let me uh let me get Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics queued up located at www.dcindexes.com and Mike has been busy. He's got an Archie comic site, a Dell comic site, a Gold Key, Charlton, and Harvey comics. Wow. I'd like to take a look at the Charlton one. I didn't know it. I I was I've been there a lot recently too, but I always go to the to the DC one. Okay, looking at uh, Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics, we have a real vigilante number one leading off the hit parade. Yeah, uh, I just recently acquired a copy of that for cheap, too. Yeah, I bought that from uh, my friend Chuck Rowland when he sold me a bunch of comics. It's kind of messed up on the back, but the cover itself is is uh, is pretty smooth. Uh, this is the same month that All-Star Squadron Annual Number 2 came out. So that we covered, and Justice League of America number two twenty. So we're catching up on some serious elsewhere in the DC universe. Yeah, uh, I like the Black Hawk cover as usual. It's a Gil Kane cover this time. Yeah, though. it's really cool. I like me some Gil I, Kane. I almost picked up a bunch of Black Hawk comics from this era for the Howard Shaking covers, but then I kept remembering that they have Dan Spiegel art on the inside and that <laughs> I really don't want to pay $3 for a cover, so... The, um... The Batman one, Batman 365 looks really goofy. I'm looking forward to covering this on Bailey's Batman podcast, because it's Batman in the Jungle, which I never think works. Who, uh, who's the artist on that? Oh, Ed Hannigan again, okay. I kind of like yeah. them. I'm having problems with the when you click on them. I'm not getting the the larger images for some reason. I don't know. It's I don't know if it's just my my browser tonight or what's going on. It's weird. 
you know, if you look at all that porn. I know it. That's the problem. Is that um, all that porno screws up my computer? You know, fat chicks dressed as Captain Kirk may turn you on, but it's not really something that everyone else needs to see. <laughs> all right, I'll stop posting those up on Facebook. <laughs> I appreciate that, sir. Green Lantern, Green Arrow number two with a beautiful Neil Adams cover. Uh, I am so glad I have these reprints because they're worth it. And I got them really cheap, so they were worth it just for the new covers. And to be able to read these in a pretty cheap format because God knows the original issues are expensive as hell. Saga, the Swamp Thing, number 18, the issue that screams, hurry up and take over this title, Alan Moore, because it's on the <laughs> chopping block. <laughs> that was a reprint issue. New Teen Titans, number 36, with an awesome shot of the team in the rain, mm-hmm. including Tara, the tramp. <laughs> I know, some people will be, be very mad at me for saying that. Um, Superman, number 389, where he's fighting his brother, uh, I always loved the backstory of this, that the Kents had adopted somebody before Clark and basically raised him to adulthood, if I'm remembering the story correctly, and then he went off and like joined the FBI or something like that. Either that or was he a criminal? God, I, I it's been so long since I've read this. Yeah, issue. I, don't I don't remember that remember. very well. It's uh, it's neat nonetheless. I uh, I rather like it, so... I like the idea that the Kents had taken in a small boy before as well. That sounds dirty. Daring New Adventures of Supergirl, number 13, which is no longer the Daring New Adventures of Supergirl. Not only does she get a title change, but she is one headband away from my favorite Supergirl costume ever, the 80s costume. Mm -hmm. God, I love that thing. And I look over to my Crisis on Infinite Earths, number 7 poster that came into in my hardcover from eBay. And I realize I can name every character on that cover. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. I'm sad. Um, Green Lantern cover where someone's going, no! <laughs> you know Why, what? God? If, Why? If, if I had good photoshopping skills, I'd put doves taking off behind him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I gotta say, I may not be much into war comics, but man, these Sergeant Rock covers are always awesome. Drop me, or this grenade will blow up in your face. Wow. Okay. And logos on this <laughs> stuff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm good. Really, seriously. Really cool Warlord cover, number yeah. 75. That's the one where he dies. Wait. That. <laughs> I, I keep forgetting that number 75 of every comic is not where the main character dies. <laughs> Uh, book I am definitely looking forward to, Detective Comics number 532, with an awesome cover by Gene Cole and Dick Giordano, where Batman is about to get run over by a Joker train. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not dirty at all, I promise, folks. It's with you and the dirty tonight. No. Uh, Firestorm annual number one, which actually has a really cool shock ending. God, that series is so good. All right, Scott. Eh, Jonah Hex. I don't. I don't care for this cover. 
Okay. I don't care for it at all. I like the idea of of Hex punching somebody out a window in front of a moving train or whatever that is beneath it. No, I guess it's just a crowd down there, isn't it? It kind of looked like a train going by, like like people looking out of a train window or so. I guess it's just the people below the railing. Now that I look at it closer, but uh, yeah, it's it's I don't know. I just think Ross Andrews a poor fit for Jonah Hex, but that's that's just my opinion. Superboy sun- is still uh, battling Sunfire. Jesus, how many issues sunburst. or Sunburst? How many how many issues did that go on for anyway? I really want to point this out again to uh, to Jeff Johns and Grant Morrison, who apparently have a lot of respect for uh, comic book continuity or whatever. Um, Sunburst died in the Crisis on Infinite Earths. Mm-hmm. So what was he doing in Infinite Crisis and Final Crisis? Mm-hmm. He was dead. <laughs> I know that means nothing to either of you. <laughs> God, where's all the bile coming from for Jeff Jones and all that? The Pantheon Saga in World's Finest is probably not going to be anywhere near as good as the Pantheon Saga in Peter David's Incredible Hulk <laughs> series. Just, just a guess on that one. I... I... I keep going back to world's finest in this era, like a, like a battered wife. I, I it's gonna change. It's gonna be good this time. I prom it promised it would be good. So you need to check yourself into a shelter. Is what you're saying? <laughs> Why are you here? I need to get away. Jeff Johns keeps from, hurting me. No, from world's finest. Oh. <laughs> Also, Thriller number one came out this month, and that was a title I avoided like the plague and the off chance it had anything at all to do with Michael Jackson. <laughs> I'm not a fan of Michael Jackson. No. Why not? Because um, he was a liked big that album. freak. <laughs> that was before he was a big freak. Nah. I don't know. Come I on. just that was never. I was never a fan. Uh, did you own did you own the album? No, hell no, I didn't own the album. I liked good music. Congratulations. I think you were the only one on planet Earth who had albums in the 80s that did not own Thriller. <laughs> I'm very proud of that fact actually. <laughs> All righty, do we uh we ready to hop into some emails, sir? I say we do one or two, and then uh, we'll wrap this one up and move on to the uh, to the next chapter in this saga. What do you say? Yeah, go ahead. We got the first one. Take it away, Scott. All right. Yeah, I'd be happy to take this one. Uh, This one, the title is uh, Episode 56, Now We're Talking. And uh, this is from our good friend Jose, excuse me, Jose A. Rivera, which uh, I actually have a little story to tell about Jose A. Rivera when we get to the end of this letter that I think he'll find amusing. He says, hey, guys, I love this issue. Uh, Which issue was that? I don't know. He says, in late 1999, when DC started releasing stuff on the JSA, I went on a hunt for issues of All-Star Squadron in the back, uh, back issue bin. I remember picking up this issue because it had the Earth 2 Superman, Ultra Humanite, and Cyclotron, who, without spoilers, uh, ended up becoming someone very important to the JSA legacy down the road. This cover always sticks with me because I can remember exactly where I was when I picked it up. I had gotten some extra cash, and like usual, I went to the comic book store. Now, they didn't have uh, many issues of All-Star Squadron, but the ones they did have were this issue, the previous issue, and 30 through 32. I snatched them up for a good price 
And what I loved about this issue is what I love about comics back in the day. I could jump into these issues blind and still know what's going on. Yes, yes, I missed that about uh, about comics. Since I was given uh, flashback sequences, footnotes, and lines of dialogue to catch me up, and even with the issue with is yeah, I can't talk. Even with issues missing. I could jump into the later issues as well. The R on Superman never ceases to amaze me. Ordway makes the elder Superman look like a different character, but still gives him the gravitas to make me believe everyone looks up to him. And that Liberty Bell's vibrating belt buckle must have gone off. (laughs) When doing the Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics segment, uh, I have to admit I felt a surge of joy and nostalgia. Why? Because the issues talked about in this episode came from the month and year I was born. Oh, my God. He just made me feel 100 years old. (laughs) In March of 1983, there were some amazing comics. Growing up, Superman and Robin were always my favorites. Ironically, a comic where they teamed up came out just two days after I was born. In this month, Reactron showed up in Supergirl. Lobo first appeared. Legion got an anniversary. And the designs I grew up with of Brainiac and Luther debuted. Jesus Christ, he was just born when that ha- I remember that stuff. <laughs> I remember buying some of those issues off the stand. Dude, you are making me feel seriously old here. Uh, says I found. Well, you are. Yeah, I know, time, but so. God almighty. Says I found that issue, uh, Action Comics number 544, in a 50-cent box uh, back in the early 2000s, and there was no bigger thrill than going to George Perez and having him sign that for me. To this day, it's one of my prized possessions. Guys, you're about to get into one of my favorites, uh, favorite stories of All-Star Squadron soon. Issues 31 through 35 to this day stick, uh, still stick me in the gut. Uh, It was one of the first arcs I read when I got into the series, and while it took me forever to hunt down the two issues I was missing, I still enjoyed the stories. Issue 31 is one of my favorite comic book covers of all time. What the hell issue is that, 31? Is that... That, I think that's the one with Uncle Sam. Ah, yeah. When you get to them, believe me, I'll be listening as I read my copies. Oh, and one more thing. Remember when you guys asked what happened to Paris Cullen's? Well, a co-worker of mine had a teacher in high school that used to tout that he worked in comics and worked on Blue Devil. While it wasn't Paris Collins, it turned out his teacher was co-creator Gary Kahn. Oh, very cool. Says, I thought that was cool. Oh, yeah, it is. It's very cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Anyways, uh, says, keep up. I think he means as always. Keep up the good work. And I can't wait to get to the future issues. Jose A. Rivera. Thank you very much. You, I, I always enjoy your letters very much, even if they make me feel like an old, old fart. But uh, yeah, <laughs> God, I can't believe it's born in March of '83. Oh my God! Um, and my my quick little Jose A. Rivera story. Um, I don't know if I've mentioned it on this show. I'm I'm now working. Um, I guess you could say in the hotel industry. I've I've transferred from my old job. I'm now working at uh, Disney's Pop Century Resort. I work front desk there, and the other day I was uh, assisting this sweet little old lady, this this guest, and she had some issue or something with something to do with a reservation. Anyway, got it all straightened out, and uh, we were going down the the list of all the people on her reservation, 
And she had stated that one of the people that was originally on the reservation wasn't able to make the trip with her. And she was really all upset about it and everything. And it turned out that the name of that guest was Jose A. Rivera. And I was like, hey, does he live in New York City? And she was like, no, no. I forget where she said that he did live. But for just a moment, I had that twinge of like, oh, my God, I know this guy, you know. But no, it wasn't the same guy. But I just thought that that was really cool. That was the exact same name right down to the middle initial. Middle initial. I thought that was kind of – I can love that guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, I kind of can relate to to how Jose feels about that DC Comics Presents issue coming out two days after he was born. I found out that there was a Superman convention going on in New York City uh, on the day I was born. So, <laughs> well, by it all comes together. Yeah, well, by very very strange coincidence, the uh, the storyline that I decided to cover next on uh, on the Superman show that I've been doing. Um, doesn't start with the exact issue that I thought it did. So I had to backtrack one issue. And so the issue I actually started with is I sat down to read it and I opened it up and I look at the indicia was April 1968. That was the month and year I was born. So I thought that was really weird. I was like, whoa. <laughs> and the comic's in much better shape than I am after 43 years. Let me just say. That. Oh, hush. <laughs> You're not. Your staples are fine. <laughs> My cover's coming off. <laughs> you might want to get a, t- a doctor to look at that, <laughs> sir. Good God. <laughs> you got on, to the next one. On a completely unrelated note, we found some Cialis at work the other day, and hilarity ensued. Um, <laughs> boy, 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 boy. <laughs> I, I, I'm not kidding. There was a Cialis pill left on the floor. And uh, I got to hand it to this one guy that that, that works for me. Uh, we called him over. It's like, hey, Chris, you need this? He goes, hey. And then we said, hey, Chris, got some Cialis for you. He goes, I don't really need that. <laughs> and I'm like, that's the best comeback for that ever. Very good, sir. <laughs> you, have, you have my admiration. Uh, the next one is from Davis Zamora. Greetings, Mike and Scott, it is listed. I have finally started listening to Tales of the JSA and Back to the Bins because someone hasn't released an episode of Views from the Long Box in three months. But I'm not going to say much beyond that. After all, I want it to be good. Well, anyway, I've listened <laughs> to 20 episodes of Tales in three days. Good lord. Why I haven't gone insane, I have no idea. However, swear words such as fuck have lost all impact for me. <laughs> <laughs> We have desensitized a teenager, Scott. Congratulations. Awesome. It, it also made me want to read uh, read the series. However, I, I have enough buying and reading projects, such as all of the appearances of Jaime Reyes, Miller's Daredevil, 80s and 90 Batman, as much Spider-Man as I can. So Mike and Scott, or Scott and Mike, leave my cash alone. If not, I'll be forced to blow up your geek rooms. Thanks, and Mabu hi. Davis Samora, Dave Z, Iron Patriot, The Philippines. Yes, your shows are heard around the world. That's very scary. Scary. Yeah, I was thinking that, actually. (laughs) Okay, folks, this is kind of funny. We just got done reading a Jose Rivera email, and a new one popped into the inbox. Oh, did it really? Yes. That's cool. 
Uh, the thing about around the world, though, I, I don't know if you saw it on Facebook the other day. Uh, John Roman posted something on I, I can't remember if it was a PM he sent me or if it's something he posted on my wall. But he heard us talking about him in one of our I, I can't remember what show it was. We were even talking. I think it might have been back to the bins. I forget. But uh, he was just saying, you know, how it kind of freaked him out that, you know, a couple of guys across the pond from him were were talking about him. And I'm like, dude, how do you think we feel? I mean, yeah, I'm still pretty freaked out about the idea of, of anybody, you know, that's like, you know, outside the realm of people that I actually know from having met them face to face. Listen to me that it, it still kind of freaks me out, you know? Yeah, every, I I had a friend of mine from high school say that she had listened to a few episodes of Views from the Long Box, and that freaked me out, too. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just it's like, wow, God, I hope I didn't sound like an idiot. So we also, we also have an ad on our Gmail page for Home Depot carpet install. <laughs> Where the hell does that come from? <laughs> I mean, true, Scott and I know something about laying some carpet. But, you know, <laughs> I had to take it. I'm sorry. Uh, I guess next we should play this uh, commercial that we were given by Sean Engel. Uh, who wrote to us, uh, I think it's your turn if you want to. Sure. It says Hawkman commercial. It says, hey, Michael and Scott. says, I know you're running gag on the show of Hawkman's nth metal being able to do damn near anything. Well, I thought... Why wouldn't Carter be marketing that shit? <laughs> it was a uh, better uh, Hawkman, get the pun, than Billy Mays. Oh, no. Yes. So I took two great tastes that taste great together and came up with this. It's Carter Hall plugging Nth Metal via a Billy Mays commercial. Now, this is my first working with Audacity, so I expect it's a little rough. Uh, so if there's any chance you want to uh, you want to make... Why? So if there is any chance you want to make changes, oh, okay, make changes. Okay. I am including the audacity file that and the fact that my voice has uh, been proven to cause terminal cancer in laboratory mice could also be a factor. Anyhow, I hope you can use this in the show. And if you like it, I can work on some others taken from the transcripts of this, uh, of his commercials. Have a good one, and that's from uh, Sean Angle, Joe Anthrax on the uh, forum for geeks.com. So let's hear Hi, it. Billy Mays here. <laughs> Are you on your feet all day? Does the contact pounding cause your ankles, knees, and back to ache? Hi, Carter Hall here for the world's greatest insult, Nth Metal Gel. Why am I smashing my hand with this base? To show you the amazing protection you get from Nth Metal Gel and this hammer. The same gel technology is used in our Nth Metal Gel insoles. If you have sore, tired, aching feet, Nth Metal Gel absorbs more shocking pressure than any other insoles. Unlike regular insoles that break down over time, Nth Metal Gel is injected into the areas that provide pressure relief when you need it most, the heels and balls of your feet. The gel never breaks down, and when impact occurs, the insole soaks up the shock, and the force now ripples throughout the gel pads. No regular insoles can do that. Even after continuous pounding, these M&Ms don't break. Imagine the relief you'll feel in all kinds of shoes. They even work in calf-high hawk boots. I use them, and they work. Talk about shock absorbency, I'm going to run over my hand with a 6,000-pound car. That's the power and protection of Nth Metal Gel. Whether you're a runner, a professional, or a reincarnated Egyptian hero, 
You deserve the comfort of Nth Metal Gel. Stop spending hundreds on inferior insoles. Remember, nothing protects a shock quite like Nth Metal Gel. Call now and get a pair of our Nth Metal Gel insoles for only $29.99. But that's not all. We'll also send you a pair of our Nth Metal Gel inserts free. They're perfect for dress shoes and casual wear. But I'm still still not done. Call right now and we'll double the offer. Just pay separate shipping and handling. That's right, you'll get two sets of insoles and two sets of inserts, a $90 value, all for $29.99. Here's how to order. To order by phone, have credit card information, mother's name, name, social security number, and your date of birth on hand when you call 1-585-267-5873. That number again is 1-585-267-5873. Order online, head over to juetruthfreaks.lipson.com and order via the PayPal link on that site. Order via email, Scan a copy of your credit card, front and back, and send it over to with your mother's maiden name, social security number, and date of birth to talesofthejsa at gmail.com. And the medal is a registered trademark of Ponzo Corp in Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. I want some, uh... I want some nth metal right now, don't you, Scott? <laughs> you know what would be great is to, to get nth metal... On a Cialis commercial. <laughs> dun, 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 I guess we'll do one more Can't email. Can't you just see we... Hawkman in a bathtub with his wings draped over the back of it, sitting on a beach, <laughs> watching the sunrise with Hawk Girl in the tub next to him? I can, I can see that. I can pick. Is that Cialis or is that... Um... I don't know. It's what one of those that? boner medications. I don't know which one it is. R- Rachel wants to know what insurance company is going to pay for the, the the bathtubs that come with the medication, <laughs> obviously. They also obviously contain a um, a hallucinogenic property that the, the house melts around you. <laughs> you That's some awesome shit right there. <laughs> wow. Alrighty, our last email and closing out the show is David A. Pascarella. Says, hi, Scott and Mike. This is uh, titled The Ultra Storyline. Just wanted to weigh in on the Ultra Humanite storyline. As I have just finished it as of this writing, read ahead to a bit to ensure I'm current with the show. In a word, excellent. Excellent. (laughs) I've enjoyed the working of Golden Age stories into the storylines as well as real figures from history. Mayor Fiorello LaGuardia, Secretary of Defense Harry Stimson, General George Marshall, Vice President Wallace, Harry Hopkins, and of course FDR. And And as I've said in the past, just a little useless trivia from the point of view of a New Yorker. LaGuardia was the Rudy Giuliani of his day. Does that mean he got rid of all the homeless people in the 40s? <laughs> they ate he was a re- <laughs> He was a Republican elected mayor in a solidly democratic city except for us out in the borough of Staten Island. He was a man he was a reformer and a strong leader. The fact that he appeared on the scene at the JSA's headquarters during a disturbance would have been right in step with what the real man would have done, except he was big on wearing the appropriate hat, i.e. a fireman's helmet, etc. There are many photos of him at the scene of fires among the firemen or personally smashing slot machines after a police raid. When Rudy was elected mayor in 1993, he used LaGuardia's desk and had his portrait displayed in City Hall. Regarding the Brooklyn Navy Yard, first and foremost to me, my grandfather, David 
Muratori, I hope I pronounced that right, David, worked there during World War II. He even became close friends with a British Navy man who would come to visit during and after the war. Our families kept in contact up until the early 1990s. Of more interest to the public in general, two of Iowa-class battleships were completed there, and it was a very tempting target. I also had a great aunt who worked for the FBI during the war. She was involved in an operation in which, which the FBI captured a group of Nazi saboteurs that had come ashore to, from a German U-boat off the cor- coast of Long Island. Or, if you would prefer, Long Island. Their target was to blow up the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Keep up the good work. Best regards. David A. Pascarella, Staten Island, New York. That's cool. That's very cool. That is cool. Man. I'd love to catch a bunch of Nazi saboteurs in the act and wail on them. <laughs> you know why? Because Nazis are the best villains ever. Hey, you know what? We were talking before we got started and, and comparing notes on if we had anything to, to bring to the table in this one. And uh, and I said that I didn't. But I just, I just realized I actually do have something I can... Uh, throw out there you know a while back also we had said that we wanted to stop ending the show on you know this issue's never been reprinted and leaving on that down note we might start throwing out some sort of weird recommendation or something i got just the thing for you um i recently um for my friend tor uh i got the series uh up till i think right up to modern episodes of uh of a series called ancient aliens and uh, I've been slowly making my way through it. And there was an episode. I'm trying to remember what the name of it was. I think it was called Aliens in the Third Reich or something like that. Ooh. And I'm telling you, you know, whether you subscribe to that sort of thing or not, you know, because I can I can literally hear eyeballs rolling as I'm as I'm saying this. But, you know, you, you don't have to believe or anything like that. But if you just if you like what we're covering with All-Star Squadron and the, and the Hitler angle, you know, with like the Spear of Destiny and stuff like that, then uh, I strongly recommend hunting that episode down and watching it because it was really interesting that it ties very heavily into what Roy Thomas came up with as, you know, the, the Hitler weapons, you know, and the occult, you know, the use of the occult to stave off the JSA and stuff like that. And uh, I, I think you guys would get a kick out of it. So, yeah, hunt that down and, uh, and give it a look-see. I, I thought it was a really, really good episode. All right, you ready to bring us out on this one? Yeah, as soon as I get it in front of me, I'll, I'll be totally ready for that. Let's see here. Man, I'm just not with it tonight at all. What the hell is up with me? I'm uh, rusty. I ask myself that question. <laughs> I guess I set myself up for that. Okay. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Sorry. That's it for this week, folks. Be sure to visit our website at www.2truefreaks.libson.com for more exciting podcasts featuring both Mike and myself, as well as several other sad and pathetic human beings who have nothing better to do with their time. Join our forum at www.forumforgeeks.com, where you can comment on this episode and the show in general about just about anything over there uh, that's uh, Two True Freaks related and a whole bunch of stuff that has not a goddamn thing to do with Two True Freaks. We have a great, fun, and most importantly, friendly community over there. We really want you to be a part of it. Come on over, check us out. Even if you want to lurk before joining that sort of thing, that's perfectly fine with us. As always, you can reach us by email 
at talesofthejsa at gmail.com. And of course, Mike and I, we're all about the Facebook. Speaking of which, if you like this show, please, as you listen, won't you please take just a moment to go to the social, I screw this up every time, social networking site of your choice when you're listening and post about it, won't you please? Because word of mouth is still the very best way to let others know about our show, and we appreciate your helping us to grow our listenership. Thank you again so much for downloading and listening to the show, and be sure to join us next time for more of the tales of the Justice Society of America. Let's remember Pearl Harbor as we go to meet the foe. Let's remember Pearl Harbor as we get the Alamo. We will always remember how they died for liberty. Let's remember 